an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's interesting to me that this is known throughout our culture. I don't know if people know where it comes from. I don't know if they know that it comes from the Hebrew scriptures and thus from our Bible as well, but they do know this phrase. And interestingly enough, it is often used to justify revenge. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, people might say. But the point of writing this in the Hebrew scriptures was exactly the opposite. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth meant that if someone took out your eye, you could only take out one of their eyes. No more. If they took one of your teeth, you could only take one of their teeth. No more. You couldn't punch them in the jaw where three or four of them would fall out. That would be unjust. It's interesting if we envision this. You can see two people coming before the judge, one with only one eye and the other with no eyes. And the judge saying, what happened here? And the first guy says, he poked both my eyes out. And the guy with one eye said, well, he started it. He poked out one of my eyes. And it was my good eye. My eye I have left, I can't even really see out of. So it's like I'm blind. So that's why I took out both of his. You hear the reasoning that's a part of this. And these words that were written thousands of years ago, Jesus' teaching is already more than 2,000 years old, and this instruction in the Hebrew law was already hundreds, if not already a 1,000 years old then, and it still remains true today. We are inclined to revenge, and it never comes out even. You know that Michael and I have four kids, and Gabe was about two when Vivian was born, so for 14 years we've had enough people to fight. <laughs> and we've had plenty of them. And here it is, I can hear it all the way in the other part of the house, wherever it might be, whatever year it might have been, and by the time I can hear it, you know it's gotten to a pretty intense level. Things are starting to fly, words and body parts. <laughs> and by the time I get there, whether I run or I stomp, it's even gotten to a higher level from what I initially heard. And so I might say to them, what is going on here? And the fingers start, she started it, he started it, no, you hit me first, I just tapped you, that was not a tap, that was a hit. Besides, you always tap me and I'm sick of you tapping me, so I hit you so you will quit ever tapping me. Well, it was just a tap, I know, but it was on my sore arm where I fell off my bike, and so the little tap felt like a really hard hit, and that's why I hit you back, and it just grows and grows and grows. And here we're reminded of Jesus' reminder to us of the Hebrew Scriptures. And he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that you have to keep it even. But I say to you, be generous. Do not retaliate. If someone takes your coat, offer them your cloak as well. If they beg from you, give it to them. If they want to borrow, then lend it. Jesus is taking this instruction and turning it on its head and demonstrating through his instruction that in order to lay a foundation for the good news of God in Christ to be made known, we have to operate differently. 
So just because you got tapped by your sibling, the fight is only going to stop if you don't tap them back. You have to respond in generosity. You have heard it said, this is indeed conventional wisdom in our day and age, at least in this part of the world, that if everyone does their fair share, then it'll all turn out okay. But Jesus invites us to be generous. You know that we have our community dinners coming up in a couple of weeks, and we have promoted them and are promoting them as free meals. And I've had several conversations, not more than what could fit on one hand, where people have said to me, Whitney, we really can't afford to make this free. I mean, shouldn't the people who can pay, pay? And I say, yes, they should. They should so that we can make it free. Because which of us has invited someone who can't afford a meal into our home and fed them? I would venture to guess no one here has at least not a stranger. But we can do it here in this home, our St. Stephen's home. And by being generous, we create the possibility for the generosity of God to be made known. We can make these meals free because of our generosity. We have the capability of paying for our meal. And because we can, we do, so that those who can't won't have to. So we're calling them free. If we called them anything else, those that really needed it wouldn't come. It's only through calling them free that those that need it will show up. And they indeed will be free because of our generosity. Jesus is inviting his listeners to lay the foundation for his kingdom to be made known in the world. And so he goes on in his instruction about loving your enemies. And says, look, this is a big deal. You've heard it said, love, your love those that love you and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Because really, how different are you than other people in the world if you only greet your friends, if you only extend love to those that, from which you receive love? I mean, seriously, on The Sopranos, didn't they all love each other? <laughs> Even as they were killing other people? So we're challenged into living into this truth. And I can't help but remember the civil rights struggle because this was a key point being made by Dr. King as he spoke to angry and hurt people of the thousands. I'm not sure exactly which sermon it was of his, but I'm pretty sure I remember. It was the one that followed the bombings at the 16th, Baptist, 16th Street Baptist Church in September of 1963. It was a Sunday morning that that took place. There were about 200 people at church when the bomb went off. We can imagine, can we not, of what that might look and feel like. People fled out of the building. Most had just suffered from smoke, but there were a few that were caught in the rubble. And those four girls died. Three 14-year-olds and one 11-year-old were killed in that bombing. That bombing was the third bombing that had happened in 11 days. It had come, this streak of bombs had come after Alabama had ruled that the schools would be desegregated. And Governor Wallace was not in favor of this. 
So three bombings had come in 11 days. If you think back 11 days, that would be about the Tuesday before this last Tuesday. Three bombings. And people knew that people knew who did it. So angry protesters gathered outside of the church, numbering around 1,000. And that is when the state police came in with fire hoses and the dogs. We have video footage. We have pictures that capture this. Two young African-American men were killed in that protest. And just a few days later, Dr. King spoke to around 8,000 people who were gathered together for the funeral of three of the four girls. And he referenced this scripture. Love your enemies. His instruction was based on the certainty that in loving your enemies, you actually magnify the hatred so that everyone can see it. It becomes evident to others of what is going on in loving your enemies. And interestingly enough, when we love our enemies, we draw attention that their evil and the hatred that they spew comes from inside of them. And we claim in loving them that we are all worth loving. We teach them, in loving our enemies, we teach them how to love themselves. So we're not instructed by Jesus' teachings to just dismiss the evil that we see around us, but instead to claim God's love in the face of it so that all people might know God's love in the face of it. That the hearts of the evil ones might be transformed, and it's only God's love that's going to be able to do that. I regret that I bring up yet another civil rights illustration in Black History Month, but that's so closely linked to the instructions of Jesus that I can't help but bring our attention to the power of Jesus' words to change reality. And we're indebted to Dr. King for bringing that to our attention even now, decades after his death. So we are challenged to live into the teachings of Jesus. And when he calls us to love one another, he believes and is encouraging us to lay claim to the reality that that can change how life goes. I'm reminded of the first letter of John right here at the end of the Bible, which also follows this instruction, and I want to read it to you. This is from the fourth chapter of the first letter of John. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. 
For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. When our gospel lesson instructs us, when Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, it's in love. We are called to be perfect in love so that God's goodness, God's transforming power in this world can be made known. So strengthened by the Holy Spirit, let us go into the world and do likewise. Amen. Amen.